If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. October 23rd through the 25th, it's Baltimore Comic Con Online, brought to you by Mainframe Comic Con. I'm a part of it. I will be moderating panels, but listen to this lineup of panels that you won't want to miss. The Justice League Wahaha team comes back. Brian Bendis interviewing Jerry Conway. Harley Quinn animated conversation with Pat Schumacher. A Lucifer conversation with Joe Henderson. Kingdom Come voiceover theater featuring Mark Wade, Susan Eisenberg Wonder Woman, and George Newbern Superman. All happening at Baltimore Comic Con live online October 23rd through the 25th. Two and a half days of incredible panels with amazing people. You won't want to miss it. For more details, go online to BaltimoreComicConLive.com. It's all brought to you by my friends at Mainframe Comic Con. We're all excited to bring you this incredible programming. Make sure you join us October 23rd through the 25th for Baltimore Comic Con. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, uh, releasing a few episodes in clusters because uh, I'm a little behind on the audio side. I uh, got really busy with uh, Baltimore Comic Con, as you can hear from the panels described earlier, and uh, so I'm trying to make good. Uh, we're going to start off today with uh, Doug Wagner. Doug and Brian Stelfreeze have a brand new comic, a Kickstarter campaign underway for Thomas River. Thomas River is a new spy for a new era and uh, is uh, someone that uh, is as much cut from the mold of James Bond as he is from, uh, you know, people like Jason Bourne. Doug and Brian are part of uh, 12 Gauge Studio. We talked to Brian a couple weeks ago and had our conversation with Doug last week. Great comics, uh, lots of interesting crime comics and spy comics. We discuss them in detail along with discussing Thomas River and their plans for the new character. Doug Wagner on today's Word Balloon. As always, this episode of Word Balloon brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners and their subscriptions and support of Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon. I am pleased to say that not only are there listeners, but also a lot of comic book guests are uh, supporters of Word Balloon via Patreon and part of the League. Uh, I would like to uh, send you a domino mask and cape for your support. If you're interested, I know it's a weird time and a lot of people are counting every penny um, is Word Balloon and the programming I provide to you each month worth a dollar a month to you? Is it worth the price of a comic book a month? If you think it is, if you can swing it, I hope you'll consider a subscription to Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Aftershock has a really interesting slate of books that are happening. A really neat book that just got announced. It's called Knock 'em Dead, and it's from Elliot Ryle and Mattia Monaco. 
Prior Bryce has always wanted to be funny, and now he's taken the plunge and started doing stand-up comedy. Unfortunately, his older sister, Ronan, wants her brother to stop daydreaming and focus on his future. Pryor is determined to succeed. The only problem is he totally sucks at stand-up. That is until an accident changes everything, leading both Pryor and Ronan to discover comedy isn't all, all it's cracked up to be. Coming your way in December, it's Knock 'em Dead, a supernatural horror about the high cost of making it. Brought to you by Elliot Royale and Mattia Monaco from Aftershock Comics. Pretty neat stuff. A new interesting book that will be joining the Aftershock Pantheon. Check out more details. Go to their website and find out about more great series. Full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond codes on how to order these books and more at AftershockComics.com. All right, let's get into it now. A conversation with Doug Wagner. Nice meeting him. Really great crime comics that deserve your attention. And spy comics like the brand new Thomas River, where the Kickstarter campaign is underway and needs your support. Here is Doug Wagner talking about Thomas River on Word Balloon. I should say that this is the last episode where I had some microphone issues. I have since corrected it. As you can hear now, things are a lot cleaner, but I am a bit muffled in my conversation with Doug. I greatly apologize uh, for the inconvenience, but uh, Doug is a great talker, and it's a great interview and worthy of your attention. And I apologize, everybody. Uh, this is uh, I've been having some uh, intermittent uh, connection issues with my uh, my uh, my end of internet, but I'm glad you were vamping, Doug. You're a good man. And I'm just putting <laughs> Hang on one second. Through the office. <laughs> exactly. So, well, good to see you, Doug, and good to see everybody. Welcome to Word Balloon Live. I'm sure Doug already introduced himself. But for the purposes of my audio uh, audience, who will hear this uh, in about two days, ladies and gentlemen, crime comic writer extraordinaire, Doug Wagner, welcome to Word Balloon. Oh, thank you, John. It's great to be here. And uh, congratulations on a great comic you and Brian have created. Um, I think uh, really, uh, well, first of all, your previous works as well. I'm a big 12-gauge fan, but very excited for Thomas River, a super spy out of Baltimore. Uh, give us the 10-cent pitch on uh, Thomas River. And after doing so, I have your Kickstarter video lined up. And we'll get Doug's point of view as well. Oh, sweet. So uh, the quick, the, you know, the quick 10 cent version of this is um, Thomas River is a CIA, uh, CIA operative. And at the beginning of the story, we have an unprecedented terrorist attack. He's called in, obviously, to go find out who is behind all of this. And immediately, step one, he finds out everything he thought was going to be true and everything that should be true isn't. He's thrown into like this, you know, immediate like, questioning everything he kind of believes like in himself and like the way we, we approach Thomas is like, he's your everyday guy. He's your standard, you know, American raised in Baltimore. Like you said, like he, he, he believes in the hope of America and the, you know, the, and the promise of America. So when these things start getting thrown at him, it, it really throws him for, for a loop and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what's true and what isn't true about what I believe. And so we've had a lot of fun playing with that. That's awesome, man. Um, did the story did the story change in today's uh, weird atmosphere? How how long ago have you guys been developing that? We started about five years ago, and so the weird part about it was, um, we you know this first story I wrote pretty much the way it's going to be delivered probably four years ago, maybe even longer, and in a weird kind of way, you know, you hear like sometimes you write stuff and it starts becoming true. 
and we were kind of playing with this perspectives of like right and left. And what are these, what do these two extremes mean? And, and what's the middle actually look like? And those kind of things in a, in a scary way, <laughs> the stuff we put in this book that people told us wouldn't nobody would believe is currently kind of happening. So it's it's a weird for both of us. Like Brian, Brian and I, at one point, Brian called me. He's like, "I'm just going to stop drawing. Like everything I'm drawing, Uh-oh. it's happening." <laughs> we have hours. No, I hear you, man. Well, let's hear. I'm going to uh, share my screen and uh, play the uh, Kickstarter video that uh, you and Brian made for Thomas River. Here we go. I'm Brian, and welcome to the Thomas River Kickstarter. Even as a small kid, I was a big comic book fan. I would always project myself into the role of the title characters, and every towel and pillowcase in the house gave me the potential to be a superhero. As I grew up, I acquired this same love and fascination for action movies. I wanted to create a comic similar to all the movies I love. Movies like Sicario, Skyfall, John Wick, and the Bourne franchise, with one key exception. I wanted a character I could more relate to, a character that had grown up and experienced a life similar to mine. And that is Thomas River. I wanted to team up with a writer I trusted, so I went with my old pal, Doug Wagner. I knew he would deliver. Doug's a character guy, and I tend to be more of an action guy. So I knew this was going to be the perfect combination. And I have to admit, it turned out even better than I had hoped. But we knew we needed somebody to help handle the details of running a campaign so that Doug and I could concentrate on creating. That's where 12 Gauge Comics came in. We also wanted a way to reach out directly to the fans, connect with those that enjoy the same types of stories we do, and build a community. Kickstarter is the perfect place for that. Thomas River is about a young black business owner in Baltimore, but he's really the CIA's best kept secret. So when someone threatens the United States and the president needs discretion, Thomas goes into action. His mission is always the same, to bring justice by any means necessary. In this story, he finds that nothing is as it appears. He is assaulted at every turn and isn't sure who to trust. Good thing, Thomas River is much more than he appears. The first issue is completely done. It's ready to print and ship. All we need to know is how many. I can't tell you how excited we are to get this first issue into your hands. Be sure to check out the rewards we've put together down below, including a couple of variant covers from some buddies of mine, Frank Quietly and Bingal. We've started this crazy ride and your support can help us finish. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for taking the time aside to check out our campaign. And hopefully I'll see you at a convention in the near future. Stay safe and uh, let's all be superheroes. Good stuff, man. Very cool looking. 
and it, it's just it's just unfair to me that Kevin, I mean Kevin Bryan has like he almost has like a Morgan Freeman voice, and then he has the charisma of like Dwayne Johnson. You know, and like I, 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 there's a part of me that hates me or hates him for that. You know, <laughs> you know I mean, he could so easily be like a narrator on a documentary or something, and just like I, I know you know him well, and like I mean he's just such a good wonderful person and I, I hate every moment of it. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, have you always, cause I know you did the ride with 12 gauge. Have you always been part of uh, 12 gauge from day one? Yeah. yeah. The very beginning, it was uh, Kevin Gardner, who's the president. And then, um, then he brought me along and we kind of started getting things rolling. Then we hooked up with Cully and Brian, Cully Hamner. Yeah. And uh, kind of started like spitballing and trying to figure out how to, how do you, how do you publish comics? You know, that's how it all got started. Well, I've been a fan of 12 Gauge since the imprint began. And I remember meeting Rosario Dawson at uh, San Diego with, uh, was it OCB? Wasn't that in a cult? OCT, like October. OCT, that's right. Okay. Yeah, because a cult crime task force. Task force. Thank you. That's why I thought maybe either D for division or bureau, OCB. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I love that. I love the ride. I'm a massive fan of the ride as well. So yeah, no, great work uh, over the years. So all you, all you twelve gauge guys, and um, yeah, we'll talk about some of your other crime, crime, crime comics in a second. But no, Thomas River really, it's a cool idea. Um, Brian and I talked about a lot of the particulars last week in our conversation, and actually, I'm, I'm bringing back the uh, the Kickstarter. Okay, so you got nine days to go right now. And, uh, and hey, awesome. You're over your goal. Fantastic. You might have been yeah. last week, but congratulations. That's terrific. So now we're at the stretch period. Yep, we're at the stretch period. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how how excited Brian and I have been that we we got our goal. And you know, it takes a lot of pressure off because we kind of pressured Kevin to try his first Kickstarter. You know, so like okay. when you do, there's a lot of pressure on you as a creative to go, man, if we don't make our goal, Kevin's going to hate us forever. You know, like, you know, you don't want, you don't want to come out and fail at anything. Right. And so, sure. you know, it's kind of chancy for us, but we're, we're really happy that we made it. It's really exciting. Did you choose to do Kickstarter because of, you know, things like obviously with COVID uh, paralyzing diamond for a few months were those kind of factors, why you, you chose to do it this way? Tons of factors, you know, obviously with the pandemic going on, there was so much going on and so much uncertainty was the biggest part. And, you know, as you know, as well as anybody like Diamond had to put things on hold for a while. Comic book stores were closed all across the country. Publishers were saying, hey, we don't know when we're going to be able to put out new books or when we're going to, you know, they're pushing things back years. Yeah. Um, so it just came, you know, we, we started talking about it and, you know, we're like, we, we need to figure out a way to fund this book so that Brian and I can keep doing it. You know, we don't know when it's going to come out through regular distribution what about a Kickstarter for the first issue and let's see where that takes us. And so that, 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 you know, like you said, everything was, you know, the pandemics obviously changed everything for, I think for everybody. And it was just, you know, we naturally evolved in this direction and I think we're enjoying it so far. That's cool. Is the plan to, you know, subsequent issues also do Kickstarters for those? I mean, what, what is the plan beyond this first issue? Yeah. After this and after it did so well, the first two weeks, um, Brian and I immediately said, Hey, we kind of want to do it this way for now on. So like the current plan, you know, as you know, like with what the pandemic, I think taught everybody is like, Hey, stay on your heels a little bit right now. You don't know how things are going to change, but um, it was going to be like a mini series. And now we've decided we're going to make it a mini series, but it's going to be bigger issues of mini series. So instead of like, say five issues, we're going to do three larger 
uh, Brian loves to call them fat bucks. I don't know why he uses that term, but you know, that's, that's, that he, he's like, I like fat bucks. And uh, so we're going to do a little bit thicker, deliver a little bit more for your, for your money. And um, it, it's just, dude, like, I can't tell you how much it's changed everything. Like even the way we're approaching the next two issues already, we've, we've gone, okay, so we don't have to worry about page count. We don't have to worry about format. We can do whatever we want now. And, it, and that kind of scared Brian and I a little bit. Cause we're like that, that opens the door to new things we haven't thought of before. So we're really excited to see where like this can take us, like being able to not have to worry about 20 or 22 pages um, and kind of like, Hey, if we want to put a chapter break in here or a chapter break in there, like, how can we do that? And if I need two more pages for a scene, I can just write them. You know, like, it, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time. I think that's great, man. And truly, uh, Brew Baker has said the same thing about a lot of his current projects. And, uh, and also, listen, nobody knows what's going to happen. I think in 2021, I, I have a feeling that the monthly 22 page comic is an endangered species now more than ever. I think the price point is is at a at a ceiling that I mean, and I'm sure you felt the same way 20 years ago when we found finally got over two dollars for a comic, and it's just like okay, how, how high is this going to go? And I do think a lot of the publishers are playing with bigger, fatter books using <laughs> using Doug's words, uh, Brian's words, pardon me. Uh, and yeah, I know I hear you, man, and it's true. I mean, it's like no, this really needs to kind of work itself out. And um, and stores have to be prepared for the change as much as consumers do. And I think it's a good, I think it's a benefit to consumers that we are getting fat books. Uh, and I think it helps you guys creatively as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just inevitable. Things have to change. And they've always had to adjust. And then now we're in this new phase of, we don't know what the next chapter is, but it's coming. Yeah, I agree. With you. I think the pandemic, from my viewpoint anyway, has I think what you've seen is we we knew we've known for years, right, that, that the monthly book has its problems. Um, you know, and there's been you know, we've we've run into hiccups, but we've managed just through sheer love, I think, of the medium to keep things rolling. Yeah. The pandemic has made everything accelerate as far as evolving. And so we have to evolve faster now. And you know, I mean, I love my comic books and I love comic book stores and I got a lot of friends that run stores. Um, and I, I'm hoping we can all figure out a way to make all this better than it is now. I love comics, but we got to figure out a better way for, for not just fans, but for retailers and for publishers and for creatives and everybody that's involved. I think we can come up with a better way. I hear you, man. I was looking at your stretch goals now. So, yes, because you've reached it. First issue is going to be 48 pages. Yep. That's outstanding. That's amazing. Are you putting any back matter in there in addition to the story? I think there's a couple of pages of back matter that we're going to be in there no matter what. Um, you know, just some characters. I think Brian has some character designs and maybe like a script with a layout kind of thing. You know, just, you know, fun things we like to put in there to show people some of the process. Yeah. No, I think that's great. Um, and then I noticed, uh, and I'm looking right now, uh, this was an update from uh, September 29th. Uh, it says here, um, and I'm assuming this is from, uh, I'm assuming this is from Sean. Brian, Doug, and I are all huge football fans. We're going to take a moment away from Thomas River to tell you about a book we're all excited about. You should be to the trap, a graphic novel from uh, Lance Briggs and uh, Kyle Higgins. Now, I didn't know if there was any, if you guys were like offering any sort of like joint effort 
be on the promotion for the trap. It's funny. I'm talking to Lance and Kyle tomorrow, and that's why I'm like, wait a minute, what is this? So tell me, is it just a just a nice little commercial for the guys? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm a huge football fan. Always have been. And um, I was actually in Chicago, living in Chicago the year the 85 Bears won it. Go on. So, you know, that was like an amazing year for me just in football. And I'm a huge fan of Lance Briggs. I was a linebacker in high school, so, you know. Oh, wow. I'm always going to identify with those kind of guys, you know. I wasn't anywhere near their level, trust me. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, and I've met Kyle a couple of times, and he's always been a wonderful person. So, you know, when they reached out to us and said, hey, we're kind of doing a Kickstarter, would you guys, you know, give us a little promo? And we're like, of course, we love you guys. That's awesome. But, I, I, you know, the fact that you bring up, like, is there any, like – connection there we haven't thought of doing one yet but that's actually like that could be an interesting thing to think about you know going forward like is there a way to like build this community to we're all working together um because i like that idea john that's 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 a very intriguing idea (laughs) well honestly man again this is why it's really interesting watching kickstarter and the community that builds around it and it's a recurring conversation on word balloon with creators that do it that um Kickstarter is its own community in a lot of ways as well, alongside the direct market, and oh, yeah. which is great. Uh, and, it, and it really does kind of feed onto itself. And that, you know, they'll support, you know, a lot of Kickstarter people will support one book and discover another like minded book. And so there is that kind of synergy. So that's great to hear. And it's funny you say that about um, living in Chicago in 85. I'm, I'm born and bred in Chicago, it's still based in Chicago. The year of the, uh, the 85 Bears, I was downstate still in school, but I worked for one of the radio stations down there, and we were the local affiliate for Bears games. So I actually produced the Super Bowl and the entire season for the local audience down in Bloomington, Illinois. And I worked in sports radio for 16 years. Wow. Ten of them, ten of them at the score from uh, the, the sports talk station. And it's so funny because I missed Lance – probably by just a couple of years in terms of when I left the score. And um, I'm going to have to really look at his stats again, because I know he played for like seven or eight years, if not nine, something like that. But oh, also yeah. mentioning you're a linebacker too. Uh, one of my best friends in, in sports uh, was the great Doug Buffon. Oh, wow. And, and I mean, I, I, I've met and uh, Butkus and Butkus is a great guy. And we lost Gail stairs a couple weeks ago and he was a good friend as well. But yeah, Dougie was, Dougie was really one of my favorite people in the world. It's so funny. And just a great, all those, all the Chicago, I mean, Chicago's a blue collar city. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're the third largest city, but we, we appreciate our cultural side and our blue collar sides. And um, all the, all, most of the players from all the major teams and stuff are really just down to earth, good guys. And especially from that sixties and seventies era where it wasn't big money. They had regular jobs on the off season. And uh, they appreciated the the opportunity to play pro. And Doug was just absolutely one of those guys. And just, he was the best. He really was. He was like an older brother to me in a lot of ways. And uh, very, very funny. Just a, just a good, good guy. So that's awesome that uh, you can relate to these guys on that level too. Oh, yeah. That's, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. I love it. That's awesome, man. Hey, I've been, uh, I, as I said, I truly have been enjoying your stories. And I want to get the title right. Um, so I'm going to check on my, uh, okay, there it is. Yeah, I wanted to check on my on my Kindle. The Hard Place, really great crime story that you did. Oh, thank you. Absolutely, man. Tell awesome. us a little bit about the Hard Place. Yeah. Well, the the Hard Place. Um, you know, just to give you like the quick, you know, t- like you said earlier, the ten cent pitch. Like it's about a 
a former you know crime driver you know i can't think of the right term professional driver basically wheelman wheelman there you go um a wheelman who's just serves his term he's he's done his prison time he's ready to you know get out of prison start leading a normal life you know doesn't want any part of that that life anymore and of course immediately gets drawn back in and in the middle of it he's caught up in this bank robbery with two guys in masks who are most likely going to kill him. So the fact that he's driving for him and he gets caught on TV, the police want him dead. And so does the Russian mob. So, you know, it's like everybody's, you know, every, there's no way for him to get out. And that's where, you know, that's where the title came from the hard place. And um, Nick Rommel was the artist on that. And um, man, Nick is just, I mean, what he does on the page is magnificent. He, he's just a, he's a good guy. And like, he was easy to work with and you know, just beautiful stuff. He's, he does, he has, he has a tattoo shop now. And so oh, wow. he's on the shop on the side, but like, I mean, he saw it. I mean, he just, everything he does, it's, it's got so much energy to it. And it's so beautiful to look at. It's a great looking book and it's, and it reads great. Uh, again, we're, we're of the uh, same world because I'm a big, I'm a big crime film fan and a big crime comics fan fan. I'm so glad that the crime genre came back to comics as big as it has in the last 20 or so years. And that really, we're getting some really great stories and beautiful art, but it, you know, it's exciting. I mean, it's, you know, obviously superheroes are all about action. Crime can be all about action as well. And uh, I'm always happy to find, you know, some good crime comics and happy to recommend them. And I can honestly say that uh, your stuff is uh, great examples of that. Well, thank you. That means a lot to me. Definitely. Absolutely. Tell me about the ride because I really, yeah. How did that happen? Because I, you know, I mean, it was great timing because I remember those short films that BMW was making for uh, The Driver with Clive Owen. Right. And it seemed like the ride came out right around that same time. And I wonder if that was an inspiration to try that as a, you know, as a, as a genre. No, actually, it was just a happy accident. And the funny part about that, I don't know if you like knew this or not, but The Drive um, came out through Dark Horse. They actually did a comic based on that. And it was written by Matt Wagner. So yes. we the same like period in the year. And it was just kind of like, everybody's like, um, this is weird. You know, <laughs> so this is kind of like a fun thing, but the ride was honestly, Kevin and I had sat, Kevin and I had both been managers in comic. He actually owned his own comic book store, but I was a manager for a store for a couple of years. And, uh, we got together and we were, you know, we'd always talked about, you know, we'd sit down and do what everybody does, right? Like, Oh, if Marvel did this, they'd make more money or if DC did that, they'd make more money. And one day we just sat down and we, you know, like, it's time to shut up and just do it. Like, how can we do this? And we knew we wanted the right concept because we had all these friends like Cully Hamner and Brian Stelfreeze and Jason Pearson and Adam Hughes. And we knew those guys couldn't commit to like a, a full miniseries. So we came up with this idea of like, how could we do like these short 11 page chapters? And Brian and Cully were instrumental in deciding this. And they were like, yeah, I can, I can do a half a book for you. And so that's where that whole the whole ride premise came from. And so we knew we wanted to do crime. Brian was adamant that we have a car, you know, so like he loves drawing cars. And so just kind of like all that kind of stuff just kind of built up on top of itself until we came up with this thing for the ride. And it was all like, okay, Colleen and Brian are gonna do the first two chapters. Then uh Georges and George Genty and Dexter Vines are gonna do the third one, and Jason Pearson's gonna do the fourth one, and it just kind of built from there. And um, yeah, I mean it just Kevin and I wanted to come up with something that we could do different stories about, but didn't have to be an ongoing. 
You know, it's like, hey, we can do this when we have the right talent to do it. That's <clears> awesome. That, yeah, that's where it built from. That's great, man. So how many chapters did the ride, or how many issues did the ride end up being? Well, we just did a new one last year. Um, oh, I forgot about that. That's awesome. Yeah, we did the ride Burning Desire, which actually has like an Adam Hughes, actually did some interior pages on the first one. Wow. Um, yeah, blew it away. And uh, so I'm trying to think. We have at least four trades worth of material. So, you know, over the years, probably like, what is that? Probably 20, 25 issues. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's great, man. Very, very cool. And then uh, one of your more bizarre stories, right? Plastic? <laughs> yeah. Talk about plastic for a second. Plastics, plastic was the one that, um, that's got a weird story. Um, I came up with the idea, believe it or not, on a road trip with uh, Brian Stelfreeze and Eric Layton, who's an anchor. And we were traveling from Atlanta to Baltimore. We decided we were just going to drive it. And uh, we crossed the Virginia state line. And what struck me about Virginia was their sign wasn't like, welcome to Virginia. It was buckle up, Virginia. <laughs> and so things started clicking in my mind and I came up with this character of Virginia and somebody telling her she needed to buckle up. And honestly, that's where everything from that point kind of <laughs> created itself. And so then I came up with, you know, here we have this retired serial killer. Virginia happens to be a blow up doll. <laughs> and, you know, he's in love with her and somebody takes it from him. So I kind of wanted to play with that, like, don't judge a book by its cover. And so Edwin, the main character, is that kind of like he looks like very unassuming. You know, he kind of drives around the back country in an old brown LTD, you know, just kind of doing his old thing. And you wouldn't you wouldn't think anything about him. Right. You'd just be like, oh, here's another, you know, normal guy. Um, but when you take the one thing in the world he loves more than anything, um, you find out he's a serial killer. You know, it's like, you know, that's there's no way out of that. Right. You know, I mean, you've seen all the same horror movies I have. You know, it's like you take something from Michael Myers. You're not going to get away with that. <laughs> that's outstanding, man. No, I, I, I have not read Plastic yet, but going through your bibliography, I came across it. I'm like. Oh, we're going to have to talk about plastic for a second. That's fantastic. It's, it's and It was interesting even from like Daniel Hilliard, the artist of the book. He and I work really close together. He's an Englishman who actually lives in Spain and he's oh, wonderful wow. to work with. And so I gave him all these different concepts and plastic was in one of them and said, hey, which one do you want to work on? And he said, I want to work on plastic. <laughs> and uh, then we went to Kevin Gardner at 12 Gauge and we're just like, you know, Daniel and I want to do this book. And Kevin read the, the pitch and he goes, oh, no way. I'm not touching this. <laughs> and, and so Daniel and I were like, well, I mean, I'm not sure you understand what we're saying. We're going to do it. Like, and I mean, you can either come along for the ride or not come along for the ride. And Kevin like thought about it for a week and he goes, okay, okay. But I mean, there were plenty of people along the way. They were like, there's no way you guys should do this book. It's going to ruin your careers. And, um, then we, we pitched it to Eric Stevenson at, at Image and he loved it. And then I guess the next day he showed it to Robert Kirkman and Robert Kirkman loved it and sent us a pull quote for the book immediately without us even asking. That's and great. So, yeah. It was just one of those wonderful, like, you know, snowball effects, you know, you're rolling down the hill and everything kind of picks up speed as it's going. But that's, what's awesome, man. And truly I love the audacity of, of a lot of comic creators. And it reminds me of uh, Sam Humphreys and I forget who his collaborator was on our love is real. Mm -hmm. And I was in the future and it was about a, a, a man dog uh, romantic relationship in the right. future, set in the future. And it's like, good for you guys. 
<laughs> somewhere Russ Heath is smiling when yeah. when he hears about concepts like plastic and our love is real. So I, I think that's great. Um, Michael Cooper has a question, and I'm going to bring it up one second. Here it is. Which bond does Thomas River come the closest to in terms of personality? The Con- Connery-British bond, the coldness of Craig, the smooth, relaxed Moore bond, or the George Lazenby, never mind. Hey, <laughs> nothing wrong with George. As I'm the father Flanagan of James Bond. There's no such thing as a bad James Bond. They were all either over or under. Well, in the case of Lazenby, he has the greatest movie surrounding him. And I mm-hmm. think because of uh, I got his chance spot. But go on, your 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 thoughts on comparing Thomas River to James Bond. I mean, that's a tough one because I think and I'm with you. I love James Bond. Like I was a kid when the Roger Moore movies were coming out. And so I actually got to re- meet Roger Moore once when you know, they were filming some stuff in the place I was born in Fort Pierce, wow. Florida. Um, was, that for, was, that for, was that for Live and Let Die? I'm trying to remember which which one did they have them going over the waterfall in the boats, like the speed boats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was I, it was either Live and Let Die or it was. Um, oh God, was it? Uh, now I'm blanking. Um, no, it was it was in Live and Let Die because Live and Let Die had kind of the black exploitation component to it as well. And yeah, they were on the. They were in like kind of the Florida, you know, if they went to Florida Keys, but yeah, they had all the gators and uh, yeah. Sheriff Pepper and everything in it. So yeah, I think sure, that, yeah. So I mean, it, but but comparing Thomas River to one of them is tougher because we purposely didn't want to do James Bond. Um, James Bond is a great character; he's got his thing. Um, we kind of wanted to look, go a little bit more towards the regular guy, even though you know Thomas is pretty smart and obviously a, an incredible operative. Um, I think I would lean more towards he's more like Daniel Craig just because it's more modern, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, but there are parts of like, I think Sean Connery more so than say Roger Moore, because, you know, Roger Moore was that, what I loved about those is it was, he was so over the top, but you didn't believe any of it. Like if he got in a fight, you didn't believe any of it. You know, <laughs> like, no way this guy's beating these people up. Um, Sean Connery, obviously Daniel Craig, he did. That's really interesting because honestly, Prior to him taking over Bond, I was watching reruns of The Saint, oh, the yeah. TV show from the sixties. You know, same guy, and and it's funny. And Michael agrees it must be live and let die. That's funny because literally, again, showing my age, uh, that's the first Bond I saw in the theaters. Was oh, wow. uh, was was Moore's first one, and um, and it's weird. And again, showing my age, the first two times I saw Doctor No, and I'm assuming either from Russia with Love or Goldfinger. I thought they were black and white movies because I first saw them on a black and white television. Oh, wow. And it really wasn't until VHS that I'm like, oh, these are in color. I I, I didn't know. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> but I'm a massive Bond fan. But also, it is good that a lot of uh, spy films and TV and, and movies, or rather uh, books, shy away from Bond because there's a lot to explore there. And and Brian said the same thing last week, that he considers Thomas uh, kind of a working-class spy, but yes. a very capable working-class spy. So that's cool. No, I, I think that's that's awesome. Uh, it's Moonraker, Moonraker, where Moore escapes being chased by Jaws, going over the falls in a glider. Was he in the glider? That's the one. It was okay. Moonraker. Yeah. Okay. There you go, man. Yeah. That's fun. And uh, you know, I'm sure you know, too, 
Moonraker is a really interesting movie, but I kind of liked it uh, that Cubby Broccoli was like, okay, enough of the gadgets, enough. I mean, we're really kind of going crazy here. Let's get back to basics. And that's why, like, For Your Eyes Only was such a great, like, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's bring Bond literally back to Earth and, you know, get back to cool espionage and stuff. And there's, there's a lot more action to explore beyond, beyond giving him a laser gun. So, yeah. <laughs> it did get a little carried away to where it was like the, the solution for every problem he ran into was a gadget. You know, it yeah. became a little too, you know, MacGuffin like. You know, and, and so I totally agreed when they switched switched directions. Absolutely. So tell me about your crime influences. What what did you read? What did you watch? <clears throat> um, most of it's watching for me. You know, growing up, you know, I was just, I was I was a TV kid. Sure. And so um, a lot of it, you know, I mean, I, I'm still a huge Hitchcock fan. So anytime Hitchcock, um, anything Hitchcock, you know, it's like, and surprisingly, like it, it turns into like, it jumps from there to more like the eighties and maybe, you know, late eighties, early nineties, when you start getting into stuff like speed, speed was a huge impact on me. Cause I was like, Oh my God, you can do a nonstop action movie and it still be a crime movie and still have character involved. I want more of this. And so like, there's that mix of like modern and old. Cause I'm, like I said, I mean, I'm a huge Hitchcock fan and love all of his, as a matter of fact, I just watched all of them again. Like last week I was going through and just watching old Hitchcock movies. Cause I love them so much. And uh, so for me, I think that's why there's always like a little weird creepiness to my crime stuff because I got that Hitchcock influence and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not just straight up crime. It's like, there's a little bit more to it. You know, there's some creepy creepiness going on in there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I read so much, it's hard to, like, remember everything. You know, obviously the Spencer novels. Oh, I'm um, a big Parker fan. I hear you, man. Um, then you start looking at comics, too. Like, I mean, Dark Knight was a huge impact on me from a crime perspective. Um, I loved what Frank Miller did to that. Uh, Daredevil, for the longest time, was just a really solid, good crime comic. Yeah. Um, and so, the, you know, you mix all those together. And I think what was great about like Daredevil and, and Dark Knight was that they showed me you could do it in a comic format. And, and you know, how, to, how do you cut that versus writing it for a movie or TV? And so, you know, and then you throw in all the stuff, you know, I'm sure you're going to recognize like growing up as a kid, Barnaby Jones and Agatha Christie and, you know, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Like all that stuff kind of mixes in there. But those are weird influences, but they're there. You know, they're obviously there. I understand that. It's so fun. I'm sure you're a me TV person mm -hmm. and good Lord in the overnight hours, Mannix and Barnaby Jones and Cannon. Yeah. Poor, poor William Conrad, man, can barely get out of his car seat, let alone chase down a bad guy, but he did it. You know, all those universal crime procedurals, they absolutely fascinate me. And do you ever see that um, uh, Adam West uh, parody that, um, Conan O'Brien and Robert Smigel you made called Look Well. Yeah. All the yeah. jokes about that, man, it's the truth. All those oh, yeah. shows, you know, really did kind of run into each other. And, you know, Richard Anderson, Oscar Goldman from Six Million Dollar Man was a guest star probably on all of them being under contract to Universal. No, honestly, that kind of TV factory and the way they turned those police procedurals out absolutely fascinates me. You know what I've been DVR in? speaking of me tv is police story oh yeah such a great anthology show and it's so i mean and some of the weird pairings like and and this is always the great thing about television you get stars on the way up and also older stars 
hanging on. And I saw a police story recently, and it was Sylvester Stallone was the junior police partner of Chuck Connors. Oh, wow. So you got the rifleman and Rocky as, as a cop team. And it's like, you had me at a low. That sounds fantastic. Where do I watch? So I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, police story in particular. And uh, no, I hear which I totally. And I, like I said, when you mentioned Spencer, I'm a massive Robert Parker fan. And I oh, yeah. like what he Sadkins has done with the character since. I was a little hesitant. And uh, I'll be honest, comic book name dropping. But like Walt Simonson's like, no, nah, actually, they're still good, John. You should still, still read them. I'm like, all right. And he was right. They're good. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. You know. And he's like, why would you worry about another writer? He goes, you've been reading comic books for years, you know, with different <laughs> writers, same character. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. All right. Fine. I'll try it. So, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of all that stuff. You mentioned Hitchcock. What's your favorite Hitchcock movie? Oh, still to this day, Rear Window. Love Rear That's Window. Cool. Sure. Oh, yeah. Hands down. Still sure. my favorite. Um, Psycho is a close second. Psycho, even today, to me, is still a fantastic film. Oh, my God, yes. Now, for me, uh, North by Northwest is my favorite Hitchcock, but Rear Window is my second favorite Hitchcock. So I get it. Yeah. Yeah, when I first, the first time I saw Rear Window, it just blew me away from a storytelling perspective. Because, you know, they pretty much shot it from his apartment. And uh, to that point, nobody had ever tried to do that, like a single set Entire movie, TV show, yes. Movie, no. And I, I mean, and of course, Jimmy Stewart. Love Jimmy Stewart. I'm the same way, man. Yeah. yeah. And you know, in the '80s, uh, and again, you're you know you're old enough that you remember too. They had that handful of Hitchcock movies that stopped being on TV or in theaters for like a few years, like over ten years or something. And after Hitchcock passed away, all of a sudden, you know, they came back in the theaters. And again, I was down at Illinois State University finishing college and, you know, they probably wouldn't play in Bloomington, but they'd play in Chicago. And we would take road trips to go see Rear Window and Vertigo and the um, Trouble with Harry, I remember, was one of them as well. There were like four or five of them that they released that way. And yeah, Rear Window, we were all just like, man, that's like you said. And also, do you watch uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Presents, the television show? No, I haven't seen it yet. You know, it's interesting because every now and then in between movies, he'd actually direct a few. Yeah. And he and he kind of enjoyed the challenge of the shorter shooting schedule and the limitations of television. And I really love that about Hitchcock, that it was kind of like an intellectual game to him of, yeah, let me see if I can do this and let me see if I can do it well. So those those handful that he directed, easy to find on the Internet, everybody. Uh, Yeah, that stuff. That stuff is awesome. So. Oh, that's funny here. Uh, Ed goes, uh, that Stallone cop later grew up to be the sheriff in Copland. Sure. <laughs> in our head canon, why not, man? That's awesome. Very funny. Yeah, you know, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a you know, what do you think of um, the current crime procedurals like Lucifer or even the mentalist in elementary where they, they kind of have these like big brains you know, well, in the case of Lucifer, obviously, even it's the devil solving crimes, which is hilarious. What do you think of that stuff? I, I mean, I, I love it. You know, I'm, I'm all I'm, as long as it's written well and, you know, and I'm having fun and, you know, enjoying and watching the stories. You know, even I like even like the, the regular criminal minds. I mean, I know it's very formulaic. I love the characters that they built. You know, I love how they try to throw a wrench in there every now and then. Um one I'd say check out if you haven't. It's on Netflix and it's just called Criminal. 
Have you heard of this one yet? No, tell me. Oh, dude, I just I had a friend recommend it to me and I'm like blown away. Like it's called Criminal. And there's like a UK, a Spain, a France. Start. I've only start, I've started the first season of the UK. And basically the it's a, the whole thing is in an interrogation room. Oh, and dude, it's like, I mean, the, the way they subtly hint stuff towards you and, you know, you're going through this like constant tension of like, you got the criminal who's trying to get away with it. And the interrogators are trying to get him to admit something. And they tell a story through this and it's fantastic. So it's always just the interrogation room and that kind of back. And, oh, that's great. And I got to yeah. say, I love European uh, procedurals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure by you. They have a channel, a public television channel like this as well. But it's literally all the foreign language criminal procedurals from Italy, from Germany, from Sweden. And and it's great because I am fascinated by how they handle the procedural format. Yes, I totally. I mean, I love even just the way they shoot things differently. You know, we've become so accustomed to like what we see from American POV. And then you get something from France or Italy or Spain and they they're doing things totally different. You're like, um, everybody should be doing it this way. You know, it's like, and it's so interesting. It actually impacts how I tell a story in comics. Cause sometimes I'll be like, Hey Brian, here's, here's, you know, this shot from this procedural from Italy. Let's duplicate that. So. That's great to hear. You know, literally John Romita Jr. Was saying the same thing this afternoon when we were talking. <laughs> so that's, that's great to hear, man. Michael Cooper, Doug, in terms of process, in particular, the initial brainstorming of ideas, what does that process look like for you? Jotting ideas down, sticky notes all over the place or straight to the keyboard? It's, it's an, you know, I mean, it's, I, I taught for a while uh, at a Broadview Entertainment in Arts University here and um, dealing with the students, like you, you kind of have to find what works for you. And, it, and it, honestly, it changes a lot depending on the idea. Um, sometimes, like with plastic, the idea comes so fully formed to you that it's easier to go to, you know, right into like, here's the entire story on paper. And then other times you've got to, you know, you just got a sliver of a scene or maybe even just a line. And so that's a post-it note. And then you're trying to, you know, you get the post-it notes out and you're building around it, trying to figure out what makes it work. And um, process, I'm, I'm slow. I, I tell everybody this all like writing wise, I'm, I'm probably one of the slower comic book writers. And it's okay. because like, this very tedious process that I go through. Um, so I'm, I'm like, I go and I, I write a log line. And if the log line sounds good to me, then I build to a paragraph. And then from a paragraph, I'll build to like multiple paragraphs. Then I break that down like page by or issue by issue then page by page and then panel by panel. And then I write a script. <laughs> it takes me a little bit longer, I think, than most people. But like, I, you know, that, that's been my process for a long time. And that's what I enjoy. That's cool. I got another book I wanted to ask you about. Was it, is it uh, the initials ICE or is it ICE? Oh, what's ICE? Yeah. I mean, I know that's not a, con- you know, that's not a very uh, popular <laughs> thing at the moment. Um, oh, but sure. It, when, we, you know, when we were writing it, um, I actually have a friend who works for ICE and it was just so interesting to, to hear him and like his take on how, how things work because and the FBI and the CIA and even local police departments would almost always take an ICE agent with them because they enforce so many laws that are on the books that nine times out of 10, there's something, you know, that maybe isn't in the FBI's jurisdiction, but is in the ICE's jurisdiction that they can get you on. And so, um, yeah, Daniel and Hilliard, that's where he and I met. That's how we first started working together. 
And um, if you can tell by the covers, initially, uh, Dwayne Johnson was involved. And this was going to be like his, you know, we were hoping anyway, it was going to be like his next franchise. And at the same time, he got offered um, the first uh, Fast and Furious role. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, he said basically he had to choose between the two. You know, and I, and I was like, I, I I can't blame you. You know, like run with that one. But yeah, it was it was basically ICE agents um, going around. The first one was between um, there was kind of a, a murder that took place on the Texas Mexico border, <clears throat> and these two friends who were ICE agents who you know had to come in here and try to solve it um, got completely out of control. And then another one we dealt with somebody trying to smuggle arms in through Canada, which actually happens apparently. And it was, I think it was, I think it was Irish. It was Irish mob that was doing it. And then probably my favorite one, we ended up in Louisiana and um, somebody was, there was a terrorist attack coming from the Ukraine through the Louisiana port. That's how they got entry. And they were going to figure out how to take down the electrical grid. And uh, yeah, they wore masks, you know, made it kind of creepy, which was a lot of fun. And then you're in New Orleans and the swamps and all that kind of stuff. So that was a lot of fun. But uh, so were they individual were they individual issues of uh, these problems or were they uh, full story arcs? Well, they were full story arcs. Each one was like okay. a four or five issue miniseries. Sure. OK. OK. Wow. I didn't realize the series went that long. That's that's great, man. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. So, yeah, you did that with Dwayne Johnson. You did um, OCT with uh, with uh, with Rosario and everything. Were there other celebrities that you guys work with to try and figure out uh, possible uh, properties? Oh, yeah, dude, I've been so lucky in that regard, especially with all the 12 gauge stuff like, you know, we for the while we were publishing the Boondock Saints comic. So we got to work with Norman Reedus and uh, Sean Patrick Flannery, both. I mean, I, you know, obviously, this is before Walking Dead for Norman Reedus, but like yeah. those guys are fantastic to be around and hang out with uh, Mick Foley. Don't know if you're a huge wrestling fan, but I'm well, a sure. fan. Yeah, sure. So, you know, Mick Foley did a comic. He wrote a comic book, co-wrote a comic book uh, for 12 gauge and um Got to meet him. So that was like a huge, like, uh, you know, childhood dream come true for me. And it was it was it was kind of comical because at one point I was kind of helping run his line and, uh, it, you know, he's getting ready. And so I said something I, he was he was I think he was on his cell phone. And I said to the person that was waiting in line, I was like, oh, I bet you didn't didn't think you were going to get a shot of Mick Foley on a cell phone. And Mick gave me like this look like he was going to crush my skull. And, and I was like apologizing left and right. And then uh, I, I said to him, I was like, you know, I have no doubt I'm going to what I do to you, I can't possibly cause you a bit of pain. There's, I know that. And then he was part of my soul. I said, but I also know you can't catch me. <laughs> and I'll keep running until the end of my days because there's nothing I can do to you that you haven't been, you know, like, I mean, you've seen Mick, like. Oh, yeah, he's a giant. I could I could probably stab Mick and he would still beat me up, you know. Like there's nothing Mick Foley, yeah. So, but, but he was wonderful. He was just such a nice and caring guy. That's awesome, man. No, and uh, you know, mentioning the Boondock Saints, I I, I love both movies. I think they're great. Um, and it's so funny. I always felt that um, if they were smart, and I know there's the possibility that Harrison Ford might still make one more Indiana Jones film. He better hurry. Yeah. But regardless, I really think as a bridge, before they bring in a new guy to be young Indy again, they ought to let Sean do one movie. Yeah. Because he was Indiana Jones. Yeah. And in fact, Artie Baltazar actually said that to him as well at Comic-Con one year. And it's like, 
I'm serious. Like they should make, they should let you make one movie as an adult because you know, my generation would accept you as Indiana Jones. And he, he said, that's great to hear. He goes, let's talk to Disney and make that happen. And it's like, yeah, God only knows, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I can't, I, I hung out quite a bit with Sean at some of the shows and stuff. He and I, for some reason, were always the first one. We'd always get there about an hour early. There's something about, you know, in, in you using sports as well. Like there's something about getting to the field a little bit early and just having a chance to like sit and, and get comfortable with your environment. And I think yeah. Sean, both did that. So Sean and I at San Diego one year, I think we got there three days, an hour early and we just sat and talked and dude, he's such a nice guy and such a warm, you know, soul that like, he actually cares about everybody. And he's, he, he just, he just wants his fans to be happy and just a wonderful guy. That's awesome, man. Well, seriously. Oh, here, uh, Michael Cooper says uh, he's intrigued by criminal. Sounds interesting. The best special effect is great acting. Sounds like my jam. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you should definitely. I'm telling you guys, I'm only cool. three, but the first two, I absolutely like. I can't say enough. Like, the first one was fantastic. That's great to hear. And honestly, man, I mean, it's it obviously it's terrible what's happening right now, but it's it's been very interesting to one. I'm sure you feel this way as well to watch the films and television shows that have been released by the streamers, and a lot of them are great. And I'm sure are getting more eyeballs than ever because we don't have the option of going to the theater and doing other things. And we are stuck at home. And I know I'm benefiting from that in a weird way, you know, doing stuff like this. So, you know, what, what can you do? And I think what's interesting about that is I think they're, they're in the same boat. I think as you would say, Brian and I were Thomas river. Um, You've got a lot of these smaller filmmakers and TV show producers that maybe the big networks would not even consider, but the streamers are letting them do stuff. And especially now when they're getting and making more money, they're like, Hey, let's give these guys a shot. And they're delivering, you know, and they're doing stuff differently. And it's like, I'm with you. It's incredible. Yeah. Is 12 gauge getting interest from streamers about potential shows or films? Yeah. I mean, even from day one, back when we first did the ride, I mean, the ride's been optioned a couple of times, which is, you know, always kind of fun to go through that stuff. Um, It's just a, it's, it's, it's wonderful and it's strange at the same time. Like it's, it's, you try to apply business logic to a lot of their decisions and you find out that's not, it's all gut instinct. And so, you know, luckily we've got a lot of things moving forward in that regard as, as far as like, you know, like getting things made, you know, but you know, with Hollywood, you just don't know when things are going to go and when, when things are going to just stop instantly. You know, It's such a weird place. No, you're right. And you know, some, I know some creators, uh, they're thrilled when they're, Things get turned into movies and they have great experiences. Rucka just went through that with the old guard and is very happy with everything. And then I won't name other creators that have had recent adaptations made into film. And I'm like, hey, you want to talk about it? And it's like, nah, not really. It's like, <laughs> I'm so disappointed what they did with it. Another positive one was Victor Santos and uh, Polar. And yeah. Polar is a great Euro crime film. And I thought they did a hell of a job adapting his great comics into a very slick movie. And I really, uh, you know, and again, that was straight to Netflix. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I think Netflix right now, I mean, they seem to be like, I love the old garden, what Greg did with that. And they're kind of letting people tell their story versus trying to second guess everything. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've read the same horror stories I've had where they're like, Hey, you know, you need to put aliens in your, in your, you know, 
the hard place. And you're like, aliens don't belong in the hard place. And they're like, yeah, but it'll make it cool. And you're like, no, it won't. Like, so I think Netflix seems to be like listening to the actual creators of the shows and going, listen, let's trust them. They have a vision. Let's follow it. And that, I think that's why it's becoming, you're seeing really good stuff coming from them right now. No, I agree, man. Well, there's only nine days left for Thomas River, but, uh, and I'm congratulations on reaching your goal. So the first issue is 48 pages. So at this point, everybody, if you haven't jumped in, you know, great opportunity to get on this first issue, 48 pages, Brian Stelfreeze, Doug Wagner doing what they do best. And uh, seriously, man, congrats on, uh, on the other crime stuff that you've made and uh, continued success. It's, uh, it's great to meet you. And uh, it's, it's been a pleasure reading your stuff. And I, I look forward to new stuff as well. Um, hang out, hang out as I wrap up because I want to. I want to ask you a question off the air, see if it's okay. not interesting or whatever. But uh, Doug Wagner, everybody, thanks a lot, Doug. Thank you, everybody. There you go. Nice conversation with Doug Wagner on today's Word Balloon. Now, more Word Balloon audios are coming out today. Uh, King Kirby, a great conversation with Fred Van Lenty and Crystal Skillman, the co-writers and creators of the King Kirby play that has now been adapted into an audio drama and it's coming out serialized every week. It's available wherever podcasts are. It's completely free and a great dramatization on the life and storytelling of Jack Kirby. You won't want to miss it. It's a great conversation. Of course, you know Fred from his comic book background. Crystal is Fred's wife, but also an incredible playwright who not only tells us about the, the story of King Kirby, but also gets into where live theater is today, uh, both in Broadway and across the country. A great conversation with Fred Van Lenty and Crystal Skillman coming out later today on Word Balloon. We're also talking to Chris Cantwell about his Iron Man run, his television work, and a whole lot more. So uh, look for Fred Van Lenty and Crystal Skillman talking about Kate Kirby and Chris Cantwell talking about Iron Man, Doctor Doom, and more on today's Word Balloon episodes. As always, this episode of Word Balloon brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners and their subscriptions and support of Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon. I am pleased to say that not only are there listeners, but also a lot of comic book guests are uh, supporters of Word Balloon via Patreon and part of the League. Uh, I would like to uh, send you a domino mask and cape for your support. If you're interested, I know it's a weird time and a lot of people are counting every penny um, is Word Balloon and the programming I provide to you each month worth a dollar a month to you? Is it worth the price of a comic book a month? If you think it is, if you can swing it, I hope you'll consider a subscription to Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Aftershock has a really interesting slate of books that are happening. A really neat book that just got announced. It's called Knock 'em Dead, and it's from Elliot Ryle and Mattia Monaco. Prior Bryce has always wanted to be funny, and now he's taken the plunge and started doing stand-up comedy. Unfortunately, his older sister, Ronan, wants her brother to stop daydreaming and focus on his future. Prior is determined to succeed. The only problem is he totally sucks at stand-up. That is until an accident changes everything, leading both Prior and Ronan to discover comedy isn't all, all it's cracked up to be. Coming your way in December, it's Knock 'em Dead, a supernatural horror about the high cost of making it. Brought to you by Elliot Royale and Mattia Monaco from Aftershock Comics. Pretty neat stuff. A new interesting book that will be joining the Aftershock Pantheon. Check out more details. Go to their website and find out about more great series. Full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond coats on how to order these books and more at AftershockComics.com. 
As always, thanks a lot for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2020. Stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.